Greetings, listeners. Welcome back to the TC Beer Show. I am Jake. I have Brandy and Mike here, as always, and we also have a special guest. Before we get to that, please follow us at DC Beer, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord. All right. Say hello, Brandy. Hi, everyone. Brandy here. And thanks for Mike's, thanks to Mike Stein for writing this glorious line. I'm drinking from Regina, Regina King and Paul Rudd's Fountain of Youth. I love that line. Um, but actually, I'm drinking a couple beers, not simultaneously. The first one's already consumed. Two beers from a brewery in Richmond, Virginia. Eiley or Isley or Eiley, but we're going to go with Eiley. The first one that I had was called Rudolph, and it was just a filled can with no special label. But it's a cinnamon cranberry red ale. I was pretty impressed. It tasted just like an oatmeal cookie. And then this one that I just opened for our show is a Irish red ale from the same brewery. Um, And so far, it's I like the red ale a little bit better. It's not as sweet, but it has like a kind of a bit of a smoky aspect to it, which is kind of fun for me. I wasn't expecting that. Mike, what you what you got going on over there? (laughs) I got some goodies. I brought some goods. So I just polished off a Dynasty Lager from Dynasty Brewing Company. My good friend Fabio Garcia with Dynasty Brew Co. just released Love Vigilantes, which is a dark style lager, a Kulmbacher lager that I uh, found in the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. So that's on release. Check that out at Dynasty. You can order that beer for pickup or delivery. I'm now drinking an Arkansas Black by Pendruid, not Pendruid Brewing Company, Pendruid Cider Company. They're (laughs) the same thing, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) A wonderful cider company. Yeah, but so shout out to Pendruid Brewing uh, all the way out in Rappahannock County, I do believe, in Sperryville, Virginia. They now have a wine license so they can make cider. Uh, this cider is 72% Arkansas black apples, 7% wine sap, 7% Virginia gold, 7% black twig, and 7% stamen apples. It's a wonderful little blend. Drinking cider because I had too much bread today, and I need to bring my carb count down. Mm. Aside from what we're drinking is who we're hosting. I am hella pumped to have Jamal Lemon on the podcast with us this evening. So I want to introduce you, dear listener. If you are not familiar with Jamal Lemon, Jamal is an award-winning writer, podcaster, content producer, and native Charlestonian. His essay, Mutated Anxieties, Living and Parenting, While Black in the Face of Law Enforcement and COVID-19 for Good Beer Hunting, won in the North American Guild of Beer Writers Awards for Best Commentary or Criticism for 2020. He lives in Baltimore with his wife and son, and we are just incredibly excited to have him here on the pod. And I will add that you, DC listener, might also know Jamal from Boston's Late World of Beer and also from Atlas Brewing Company before he moved to Mobtown. Mobtown being Baltimore and Mobtown Brewing. Jamal, welcome. But before we get into a discussion, what are you drinking? What have you enjoyed recently? Hello. Thank you guys for having me. This is a great honor. I listen to DC Beer Podcast quite often. Mike Stein is a a very good friend of mine, so thank you guys for uh, having me on here. But I am drinking a full disclosure. So I'm drinking a a Patterson Footage Sweet Potato Pie Ale from Brookville. 
Mm. I am not a fan of types of beers like these, like overly spiced Christmas Eve folly type beers. However, my wife bought this at her own discretion and uh, just looking at the ingredients because, I mean, sweet potato pie, molasses, marshmallows, it's like all this fluff in here that I'm like really not a fan of. However, (laughs) the beer is quite pleasing. Like it's not over the top. It's like 5.4%. So it's, you know, Mm. fairly low gravity, but like, it's not like beating me over the heads with like too much cinnamon and nutmeg and all that, all that crazy mess. But, uh, so yeah, that's what I'm drinking right now. Um, depending on how long we talk, I do have a quad (laughs) that waits in the bush. Yes. I don't want to seem like I'm a, a, a lush or whatever, but I am a huge fan of quads. Uh, this quad is from uh, Mob Town. It's called Farm to Charm. 11.5%. Uh, so we'll see. You know? Woo. Sounds lovely. Yeah, man. Yum. I actually met Jamal at Atlas. I used to see him basically every week because <laughs> I was always there. And I, when we were brainstorming about people to have on the show, I was like, Guy, let's 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 get Jamal on because I a I hadn't seen him in forever and I'm still unfortunately not seeing him, but uh, it's nice to hear his voice. So hey, Jamal, welcome to the show. Thanks. So let's dive into it. Let's go. I wanted to share with our audience some of your writing from your award-winning essay. And if I our listeners haven't yet, I recommend reading all of the NAGB winners. We'll post it on our show notes, um, and you can find that on our website but you can go to reportersnotebook.org. And this this is just a one tiny, little, <laughs> small sentence, but with a huge impact and a huge message. And it, I read it about three times, and each time I, it gave me chills. And this is, this is what Jamal wrote. The American experiment includes an in- indoctrinated system of hatred for people of color. Like the code of a virus, it replicates into every cell of our society's body. Like even reading it again, I was like, holy shit, <laughs> like it, it makes my heart pound. So tell us what was your motivation behind writing all of this and why you decided to write it. And, you know, has anything changed for you since you wrote this? Like there's so many, we have so many questions. Mike has written, uh, asked so many questions, <laughs> but I just, I'm, I'm curious to hear everything that's going on with you. And we don't have to jump right into the questions. You can just talk to the audience and us for, for a minute because we missed you. So. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I miss you guys too. We're all in this crazy quarantine thing. <laughs> the the piece, so it was directly on the heels of the, the, uh, the incident in uh, Minneapolis. And it was a piece that I've always wanted to write. Like I've always, because I've, you know, I've I've never heard someone talk about race relations and kind of like connect the dots. It's always like black people were slaves, black people were in civil in the civil rights movement, and now black people are here. But there was never like a connecting of the dots into kind of like first of all, full disclosure, like it's a lot of different things. Like this is a very complex and layered 
issue to talk about. We're talking about race because it spawns off into so many different directions. And on another side, I actually hate talking about race. Like I, I really do. Like it's, it's like it's emotionally draining. Uh, at times, it can be physically draining. However, it is needed because I think now we're at a point in time to where, you know, COVID has allowed us, if I can use that word, allowed us to kind of like pull the veil uh, from our eyes and kind of like just see what is really going on in the world. Um, So there's that. But like, I've always had this piece. I've always wanted to write something like this. And I don't know if you guys want me to just kind of like just talk like my mind frame is like as, as far as like why did I want to write it? But I tried to start off basically talking, trying to explain how close slavery is to me. I'm 41 years old. I graduated high school in 1997. Yeah, I don't know how old you guys are, but it's like I'm not I don't think I'm an old guy. I'm not 60, 70 years old. But when when we talk about slavery or when I hear people talk about slavery, sometimes it's kind of spoken about like it's so far off, like, oh, well, that happened so long ago. Like I said, for me, my great great grandfather died in 1976. I was born in 1979 and his grandparents were born as slaves. They were actual slaves like that's not that far. That's like three people. You know, when you talk about slavery, okay, you know, slavery ended in 1865. It didn't just end. There's all these trickling down effects from slavery to kind of basically, air quotes, keep, you know, black folks in order or in position or whatever. And that kind of, you know, when I talk about an indoctrinated system, like, it's like, it's uh, systemic oppression, like, how the effects of slavery, the effects of the ending of slavery, Reconstruction, Jim Crow laws and Jim Crow era, like those kind of spread out through all industries, avenues of life, education, healthcare, business, everything. Like I'm born and raised in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, my dad's from the city of Charleston. My mom is from a very small town called Rock Hill, South Carolina, also known as Football City if you're a high school college football fan. But she's from a town called Rock Hill, and she grew up as a sharecropper. And sharecropping, being a sharecropper was basically, you you were basically a slave. You were, you know, commissioned to work on the farm. A quota was set on how much you how much of a crop that you had to harvest and if you didn't meet that quota you were basically in debt so then you would have to work the next season to to reclaim that debt or recover that debt and then you know try to earn money for your family so that's how my mother grew up and like that's not my great grandmother that's not my two great grandma that's my mother um so i'm kind of very closely connected to all of this so basically, like uh, like I was saying, like through that piece, I just wanted to just show how how close we all are to that, and it's important for everyone to kind of like acknowledge that and accept the fact that there are some some systems that are in place that necessarily don't benefit people of color, and I mean to be real, don't you know 
benefit women as well. But if we're talking specifically about police brutality, as I was, which kind of like prompted me to write that piece, like, I don't have a criminal record, um, never got in any kind of any kind of trouble, but I've been jammed up by police in my teens, early, mid-20s, a little bit, probably more so than I should have been. A lot of that you, I attribute to just being who I am. I'm a fairly big person, I guess. You know, I always get the nickname Big Jamal, Big J, and all that, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with all this. I'm kind of like just rambling. But basically that piece was, yeah, it was it was composed. It's always been in my mind. I've always wanted to tell it. But I, in, in essence, just wanted to try my best to connect the dots, if that makes any sense. I feel like I'm rambling and I feel like I'm kind of jumping all over the place. But that's that's how complex this issue is. Jake here, Jamal. Um, I thank you for speaking and writing your truth. And I guess an initial question is, has a damn thing changed since June, since you wrote this? Have you seen any, any successes, any failures? I think we're all at a, at a point to where I don't think anyone kind of wants to go back to whatever we were. I, I, I'm very promising of the future. I feel good about the direction where we're going. However, there is that lingering thing in the back of my mind is like, you know, I don't know. Take, for instance, the vaccine, right? And it's kind of comical when you think about it, but it's, there's some truth behind it. I've asked a lot of my, my friends, like my black friends, is like, yo, you know, they just got this vaccine. Are you going to take it? Quickly, everybody, hell no, not taking that shit. No, 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 not taking that shit. Ask my dad today, dad, do you, do you plan on taking this vaccine? My dad emphatically, hell no, I'm not taking that shit. So it's, it's on one hand, it's kind of funny. But on the other hand, there's, there's a reason behind that. It's a reason why a lot of people of color, in particular African-Americans, are not up for taking this vaccine. Because historically... <laughs> we have been kind of like treated like like lab rats in a sense when it comes to like healthcare and all that. Again, going back to my mother, not my great-great-grandmother, my mother, when she grew up, they, her and her sisters, did not and could not go to an air quotes regular doctor. They had to go to a vet. So for like a dentist, if they needed to go to the dentist for whatever reason, like they didn't go to an actual dentist. They went to the vet, veterinarian, an actual vet. Mm -hmm. And literally all they did was pull teeth. And then not only that, they would have to come in. They couldn't even walk in through the front door of the, the veterinarian's uh, office. They would, they would have to come in through the back. Again, this is my mother. So there's like, Situations like that is like, again, we're not far removed from that sort of thing. And there's always a historical context when you're talking about how uh, a lot of black people think about certain things and why they, why they or we don't do certain things. And if we're talking about the vaccine, it's like, I'm not trying to be a lab rat. 
from what I've read from, you know, CDC and all these different things, there are ways that you can protect yourself from this virus aside from wearing a mask and staying six feet apart from me, you know, from crowds and all that stuff. I personally am not out for taking a vaccine right now at this point, but um, I don't know. I feel like we're going in the right direction. I think we're trending in the right direction. I sure hope so. There's a conversations like this have an opportunity to be on platforms and kind of just speak very genuinely and like no holds bar. Like this is good. We should have, I'm not saying that this is an uncomfortable conversation, but like we, we need to have more uncomfortable conversations because the change that we all want, I think it's not going to be on our time. I don't think this is, this is a change that's going to be a generation and a generation and, and a half beyond us but it's important for us to kind of like lay these stakes down now so that that generation generation and a half can reap the benefits of it so i think us having the conversations now being honest and having visuals of lots of different people in certain positions that kind of like i don't want to say control society but like you know move, move society especially like in political power that's important now, but we won't see that change until a couple of generations ahead. So I don't know if that answers your question also, but I am, I am hopeful. I do see us trending in a, in a positive direction. No, no, that's, that's good. That's good. I want to take the opportunity to remind our overwhelmingly white audience, because craft beer is overwhelmingly white, that you all should take the vaccine. And if <laughs> Jamal does not want to take the vaccine, you should not make this like black people's problem, just like racism is not black people's problem. It's mm -hmm. on white people to get better. There's a long history here from Tuskegee um, yes. to Quintal Pro yes. to Henrietta Lacks. Yes. And so if, if African-American black community doesn't trust a predominantly white organized medicine, they have certainly earned that. Don't. Don't comfort Jamal and his people and his family about this, but you white listeners, take your medicine, get your shots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would echo that, Jake. I would say it's, um, it doesn't have to be a, wrong, a long reading list, but if you want a long form, check out The Life and Times of Henrietta Lacks. Yep, uh, that's the one. It's a non, yeah, nonfiction work, coincidentally about mostly you know Henrietta Lacks, but also Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, the city that Jamal now calls home. Quick Googling of uh, the Tuskegee experiments will yield uh, a, a short, too long reading list, depending how, you know, in the weeds you want to get on it. But um, to Jamal's point, there's good reason, there's good history why certain people may be skeptical of a vaccine. Um, but moving on from that, I, I have to thank you, Jamal, for sharing your personal family history. Yes. You know, I love it. We love to hear it. We love to hear it. I, I, I really have to say that um, what I find so moving about it is it's both unique to you. You know, it's your lived experience. So it's 1000% true to you, uh, but it's universal as well. And so, you know, speaking from my own experience, my, my father's an immigrant. He is the son of uh, a Jewish man. My grandfather was a Jew. He survived a concentration camp. He had his own unique struggles, but in a way that struggle uh, were only one, two, or three people removed from the terrors that ensnared whole generations of people 
be you, you know, a person with a great grandparent who was enslaved or, or some form of, of you know, uh, mild terrorism. Right. When I think about uh, I'm just uh, uh, putting the finishing touches on a piece right now about German immigrants. And there was one German immigrant who was lynched in 1918. And he, at least to the historical record, was the only German immigrant who was lynched. But of course, lynching is a form of American terrorism that has been around for over a century. And we still, America still has not passed an anti-lynching bill. Uh, we've had bills pass the House. We've had bills pass the Senate, but never both and then signed into law. So as far as what's changed since June, I can't speak from that personally. I didn't write <laughs> this brilliant essay that you wrote, Jamal. I love having it. Uh, but I can say that we are situating ourselves for hopefully greater change. And to your point, Jamal, if it takes a generation or two or three, we need to position ourselves to think about that long-term change. So I would yeah, ask, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would ask you what, what you make of that long-term change, you know, in an ideal world versus what you think can possibly be done you know, for your son, for your grandkids? Um, I, what, I, again, I think now, I think the conversation, I think we, we need to have conversations. One of the, one of the things that if we're, how can I say this? So uh, aside from, you know, if we're just talking about black people uh, dealing with racism, aside from the initial, the tangible racism, the, Oh, you guys look like thugs. Aside from that, at least for me, one of the most frustrating things is the the brush off, the not wanting to speak about it, the, the just the the whole like you know slavery happened so long ago, that kind of like reaction. So you know it, it's a you can feel like you're not worthy in a sense when, because like, again, like that, it's all connected, man. Like it's even to how I behave now, like it's connected to how my mother was raised and how her father was raised and how his father were, were was raised. Like it, it's all connected. And I think it's important for everyone to kind of know the American truth. And it's okay. Yes, it was some crazy shit going on. Yes, you know, the women had had it rough. African Americans had it rough. Native Americans, goddamn, like you know what I'm saying. And I don't want to say that it that it's okay that it's happened, but it's like, let's get it out there. Let's talk about it. Let's be honest about it. Let's kind of take in all the information so that we can all learn and unlearn some things that we've been taught and then kind of like just move on from it keep it in our minds you know keep it in keep it on our hearts but like move on from it and and again like we we won't see this change until a couple of generations that's just my personal opinion but it ha we have to have we have to start having the conversation now and i think the for everyone because due to the pandemic everyone being kind of like closed and shut in, you were forced to see the incident with George Floyd. You know, you were forced to see what was going on in Georgia with uh, Ahmaud Arbery and 
Breonna Taylor. And then you start, you know, people start researching all these names. I remember I was on a, a Zoom call. It was a GBH Zoom call. And it was like shortly after the, the George Floyd incident. And it was kind of the Zoom call was. I don't say it was. Yeah, it was in essence, it was kind of like. I think Kaiser was like, well, I, th- I want to talk to see how everyone is feeling right now. It was a very somber uh, Zoom call. And, you know, a few people made, you know, comments about, you know, how they're feeling. And then I asked the question, I was like, yo, okay, why is everyone up in arms about this? Like, y'all didn't see the last 20 that happened last year or the year before that? Like, because, you know, I walk literally every day when I walk out my door, it's like I have to take a deep breath. And it sounds like, oh, you're overreacting or you're exaggerating. It's like, nah, like the, the neighborhood that my wife and I live in, we're the only black people on this block. Like it's a somewhat gentrified type neighborhood, but it's, you know, a good portion of our neighborhood is Latino and the other portion is, you know, white. And then you have us. And then you have me when I go outside, six foot, 200 some pounds, tattoos, big beard. I feel the stairs. I see the stairs. But it's like I'm always aware of how I'm being perceived. And, you know, we have a dog. So like walking around at night, walking the dog around the block, like it's, it's all these things that has to go through my mind, which is totally unfair. Again, I'm kind of like going off on the deep no, end. No, you're not. But I'm. You're really not. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's like I said, it's it's very layered and it's very complex. And I I think when when I just said about you know when black people sometimes don't may not feel worthy because of when we try to express things that have happened in the past and they get brushed off. It's like, well, these are the things that we're talking about because it's like it's so much mentally that you have to deal with. Just walking outside, walking a dog. Yeah. Because that's a reality. Like, things like that happen. Like, you know, forgive me, I forgot the guy's name, but I know this was, I want to say like a few years ago, that guy that got killed by the police in Florida, uh, he had like his car broke down or something like that, and he was actually looking for help, and they mistook it as aggression and shot and killed him. So it's like, these stories are real. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just going outside, I'm, you know, naturally always smiling. So part of that, a large part of that is just my personality. I think everybody, and I'm you have very a wonderful friendly. Smile. Like, <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I paid, I paid some good money for it. I know. It well, you, you probably also got some good tips at Atlas when you were behind the bar because you were always like, hey, what's okay. up? <laughs> yeah, I did pretty Jamal's well. Jamal's happily married it's everybody like, to a lovely woman. He has a cute you know, kid. <laughs> But he's very cute. <laughs> uh, and um, it's like, you know, part a large portion of me is like, yeah, I'm a, you know, I like to think of myself a very friendly guy. I'm always high-fiving, hugging, laughing and all that. But also it's like, I, in my mind, I'm thinking like, listen, I don't want any shit. I'm just here to kick it. I don't want anybody calling the police. I don't, you know, it's like, those are like real thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, you know, if we can have the conversation, if everyone has all the information, you know, then it's it's going to be easier for easier for us to, like, take the next steps, I think. I agree. But it's a lot of information to digest. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it is. It is absolutely overwhelming the amount of injustice that has piled up over the years, decades or centuries. You know, when I was researching for this article, it was I think I can't remember if it was Southern Poverty Law Center or the NAACP who said somewhere between four and five thousand victims of lynching. Right. So that's between four and five thousand people, each one an individual who, who hasn't had justice by the representatives, you know, by those voted into power to represent them by, by passing an, an anti-lynching bill. And, and I hate to harp on this point, so I won't. But I think, Jamal, to your greater point, uh, the more you study the history, the more overwhelming it is. And I think I'll say I'm very excited about the project we're working on now. Absolutely. Yeah, which basically talks about some of the erasure that African-Americans enslaved people have experienced. You know, I'll say when I first started reading about beer history, the notion was Europeans came to America. They realized American barley was not as good as European barley. So they used corn and rice to make a better beer as good as the European beer with American ingredients. And there may be truth. That story may be entirely true, but what it does is it erases a whole generation or multiple generations, primarily of enslaved people who were brewing and making beer in the United States. And then we we dug in and we found this whole West African tradition of brewing, which is not news. It's generations old. Locally, I've had a conversation with uh, Kofi Mero, the, the, the founder of Sankofa Brewing, about the Pete, oh. the Pito beers. Yeah, shout out to Kofi. I had a great conversation with him at, at, at Right Proper back in, you know, pre-pandemic times. Oh, was that at the and party? That oh, was at the God. party. That, that wonderful, party. I think it was January 2020. The cup, um, the... Cuffing Saison, yeah. Cuffing Saison. I remember seeing a photo of y'all on Instagram from that night, I think. Yeah, yeah. that was such a yeah. great event. The greater point is that, you know, there's still this, this beer brewing tradition in West Africa the early American brewers haven't been recognized the way that the later European American brewers have been recognized. And that's really a a, a historical wrong that needs writing. And that doesn't have to be as as massive an undertaking as something like, you know, a bill or congressional Senate, Senate, you know, uh, executive branch action, right? That can just be us, the storytellers, telling a story that hasn't spread out as far as it should. Yeah, man. Bruh, like, I'm not a, I'm not your, your big church-going fella, but that is some divine work going on for you guys to have that idea and then for me to kind of, like, also be a part of that in my hometown. Like, you have to understand, like, I'm really new to this industry. Like I've only been in this industry, what, six years, you know, from a contest that I, and it's like, now I'm here. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's like that, 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 that's exactly what I was trying to say, uh, Mike, like, you know, the bills and laws and all that, like, that's cool, but it's going to take us to be on the ground to, digest, research, and distribute this information on our own. Because, you know, politicians are only going to do so much. But in essence, it's going to be the people like, we have to learn this information. We have to pass this information on so that our children can 
you know, do some cool shit way better than what, you know, than what we did. Situations like that, that's all divinity, man. Like, you can't, I can't explain that. Like, I'm yes to all that good stuff. I can't help but feel like it's divine. It's in the stars, right? Uh, I think people feel a certain way about talking about the ancestors. And, and of course, it's a privilege to know who your ancestors were. But the concept that our great grandparents or great grandparents, you know, well, it was it was the 19th century and they, they didn't know it was the 18th century. Like people have been wise for a very long time. And I think now it's about adapting that wisdom and bringing it forward and how we can do that. But I wanted to ask you, Jamal, on the lighter end of the spectrum, you know, we talked a little bit about you were kind enough to tell us about your family. But tell us about your family in, you know, your uh, your received family in Baltimore in the district. I, I heard Brian, Brian Roth talking to you for the NAGB series. And, and you talked a little bit about yeah, yeah. about the, the quote unquote uncles. <laughs> that your boy has and and those and I know you and your family have been super secure you're like us you you are insanely cautious and and very careful cuz you know you have real family commitments but tell us a little bit about about Baltimore about DC what you guys have been drinking you know I know uh, keeping a small radius like myself but but what's what's interested you and what what have y'all been enjoying Baltimore's cool it's a lot different than the D.C. area. Mm -hmm. Can't really say, you know, if it's good or bad or whatever, but it's just, it's very different. The people are, are, are a lot different. That being said, like, yeah, like, you know, since the pandemic, we don't really, you know, my wife and I, we don't do, we don't stray too far. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think, man, like, man, Jojo is a savior, man. Jojo is our uh, two-year-old son, Joseph. We call him Jojo for short. He's a savior, man. Because he's like when my wife was pregnant and uh, she was diagnosed with gestational diabetes and I went on like a mad dad. I read like five, six books in like less than a month on like just like sugar, diabetes and like all this stuff. And like even now, my wife and I, we we have conversations about like, yo, what would we be doing now if we were single or if we were just <laughs> dating? We didn't have. So it's like, would we be out here just like out in these streets, like not really caring about what COVID has to say and all that? It's like, we, I don't know. We probably would. But it's like the, the precautions that we take is for him. Mm -hmm. Like we had him in uh, prior to COVID, we had him in a really nice daycare that's not too far in the uh, Brewers Hill neighborhood, which is ironically in an old brewery. Mm. See what I'm talking about? This is all <laughs> divine, man. Yes. But yes. He was in the, he was in this school and he's a um Jojo's very personal personable young fella. Um but when COVID hit, we had to take him out of that school we took him out of the school because we were more concerned with him. And so like now he's not in that school. So we do, and I have a degree in early childhood. Just everything comes full circle. I have a degree in uh, early childhood, child development. And I actually taught like kindergarten for you. And he's not quite kindergarten age, but I do know, you know, you know, I know a little bit of something on how to like keep kids engaged. And he's, you know, he's, he's doing okay. And like, you know, he's here with us and we, 
we talk to him like I don't say like a grown person, but you know, we don't Google Gaga. So he's kind of like learning how to have conversations and he's counting and all that stuff. And on a, on a happier side, we've been drinking a lot of beer around these parts. I have to be honest. <laughs> so it was, I've kind of, I've slowed down a lot, man. Like, so when, when they first shut everything down, I was like, Oh, I get to work from home. And Seven days, you know, five days a week or whatever. It's like, oh, it's a damn party. I mean, I'm literally spending like a hundred and sixty dollars a week on beer, like just go. <laughs> and which is crazy because I would go to my. So it's a couple of places that I go to. Off the Rocks is like that's the closest one to my house. It's like right around the corner, or Canton Wine and Spears. They have a like a, a really good beer. shout out. Yeah, yeah, they have really good uh, beer selections. Both both of those places, but I would only mm-hmm. buy like. Not only, but for the most part, I would buy a lot of like DC beer. So, uh, you know, I worked mm-hmm. at Atlas just for shits and giggles. I would just buy a six pack of a uh, Dance of Days, just you know, just. <laughs> but the the I mean, the go to beer for pandemic for the pandemic, it may be a tie. It has to be. I forgot the name of it, but it's a it's a quad from uh, Oma Gang. It comes in a four pack. Uh, Speaking three of philosophers. Quad. Three Speaking philosophers. Speaking of quad, yes. how's your quad? Yeah, Aww. yeah. You said you were going to open it. Oh, I didn't. Have I didn't you open it yet. <laughs> uh, oh no! Uh, go get it. Let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. Keep going. Uh, three, three philosophers will that will that will mess you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you, yep. especially if you get phlegmitis. <laughs> so it's either that or uh, Southern Belle from Three Stars. Like, mm. Those are like so. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You can see that I'm like a, a malty guy. Like I love the malt, but oh, you'd like this red ale I'm drinking. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's how I like. I said, you know, DC and Baltimore is a little bit different, but like being here has been cool. I miss my Atlas folks. So my JoJo's uncles that I was referring to, Josh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So yeah. So you know. So like Josh. I love Josh. Grant. So like yeah, man. Like and we tried. So they came up here just. Uh, I think it was like December before the pandemic. You know. You know. They. I just took them around Baltimore a little bit, and then everything got shut down. And then in the into the pandemic, we met up at Ryan's house. And then a few weeks ago, we met up at Josh's house. So we try to keep this thing going on. You know, as much as possible because I still. You know. I miss my DC folks, man. I miss Atlas, and uh, but uh, I'm up at. Was Sam there? Pardon? Because I could have. Was Sam there? I could have sworn I saw your Instagram. Oh, I was there. Or your Facebook. Was, uh, when we were over at uh, Ryan's house. Someone. In- yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The backyard and yeah. Josh yeah. and you and Sam. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. So yeah, those are my people. So yeah, I'm up here in uh, Baltimore now. So I'm actually working at. Well, not now, but I was working at two different breweries. Mob Town, which is less than a mile from my house in the Brewers Hill neighborhood, and uh, Suspended Brewing, which is in the Pigtown neighborhood, which is like West Baltimore. So I would literally like just switch off one weekend I'm here, one weekend I'm there. And mainly doing it, you know, of course, you know, it's always good to have some extra money, right? But I was Mm -hmm. mainly doing it to kind (laughs) of like study uh, for Cicerone. And just kind of mm. like just trying to stay immersed in it and asking questions. And like I'm saying, like I'm new to the industry, fairly new. So I was just yeah. always just trying to stay busy 
doing something with beer stuff. Well, we appreciate you, Jamal. I know you made our scene stronger in the district, and I know you're doing that in Baltimore. And I have to say, it's been years since I thought about CO2 and 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 carbon dioxide and <laughs> in a beverage, but you had some posts, this might've been a year or more ago, and you were talking about volumes of CO2. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, if you have 2.5, think of 10 pint glasses lined up, and if two and a half of those glasses were filled with CO2, that would be the volumes in the receptacle. And I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. <laughs> and then I was like, Stein, you just forgot that. Like Jamal's just reminding you of some shit you forgot. <laughs> it was like, and my mind was blown. I was like, oh shit. Like I really, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta text Jamal right now and be like, damn, that's some shit. Because, you know, we forget the life is so loaded with content rich tidbits and things that we forget that it's just good to connect, man. And it's, it's been great having you on to, to chop it up tonight and and get you know your your personal history and then you know your outlook on our scene baltimore scene you know the state of things writ large so we just really appreciate you, man. Oh, man. We love for you to come back on, too. Oh, yes, <laughs> well, yes. I want to talk to you I more. Like, I feel the, like we this is the tricky much. thing. I know I want to hear your voice, and I want for all of us to talk and have a discussion and for it to be recorded. But I'm, like, looking at the time at the bottom going, Richard's going to be so angry with us. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, can we, we, can we have you back on? Can you be a repeat guest very soon? Because oh, we haven't even scratched the surface. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like we didn't even really talk any beer stuff we just i feel like no i, I know it felt like it was a, a, a somber podcast at, at the beginning it was like oh, you know i do like to talk about beer stuff too but yeah man i absolutely come back listen mike stein is a sweetheart anytime he's involved in something i'm going to be involved also oh that's sweet yeah i think yes. i think we all i think because we predominantly have had you know white people on and you know like i've had my friends who own red bear over and yes they're white but they are gay so you know there's a little bit of the minority going on but i think it was important for us to make sure that it's that we reach out and and expand you know our audience even more and and maybe not expand our audience because that's I, that's not where i was going with it just talking about things that are correlated to beer and you may not think that racism and the lack of people of color in the beer industry is a thing, but it really is. And I think it's really important to talk about it. And I, I'm glad that you came on. And I think when you come on again, we, we should talk all the beer stuff too. <laughs> all beer questions. But yeah, man, like, like yeah. thank you. I, I really do appreciate it. Like I said, I know we kind of started off on like the summer tip. Like I really love this industry. This is like the only thing. I'm a diehard college football fan. And so aside from college football, this is the only thing that I can kind of like really zone into and be like all in with. Like I said, I've only been in for six years and it's kind of taken me to all these different places and and connected me with all these different people, man. So I love it. I appreciate it. I respect it. I'm humbled by it. Thank you guys again for having me on. And uh, I can't wait to hug your faces and have a beer with you, man. I really can't. Oh, gosh. Me too. Cheers. 2021. 2021. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Jamal. We very, very much appreciate it. We'll have you back on and we'll, we'll, we'll kick it a little bit more shallow next time. <laughs> there you go. We can do that. Very soon. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. And in the meantime, I'm actually going to email you because I have so, we're, we have a lot of stuff in common. I'm very excited about it. So yeah. maybe, and I didn't want to take up the, because I felt we were going to talk about beer more, but I'm so, so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jamal. All right, folks. This, I think, is going to be the final uh, DC Beer Show of 2020. No! Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I know, parting to such sweet <laughs> sorrow. Please join me in having a hearty fuck you, 2020. Yes. Bigger <laughs> yeah. and better things, 2021. Hopefully, that back the back half of the year, um, we might actually see beer festivals. I would love mm. to pour alongside Jamal again. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. 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 That would yeah. be lovely. Can't wait. Can't wait to pour beer next to Jamal once again. Um, Yeah. Draft beer, draft beer just hits different. And I want this is my this is my wish, my Christmas wish. I want everyone who follows us on social media, specifically Instagram for me, because I don't really I'm not on Facebook much, but and I do not have the twits. So if you take a picture of any local beer. Tag DC Beer so I can share it and I can be happy because if we're not doing another DC Beer show, we need to, we gotta, we gotta come together and, and be festive during the holidays. <laughs> Tag DC Beer, y'all. That's right. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you. Yes, yes. Excellent. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you, listeners. Please have a happy, healthy, safe holiday season. We will see you all with even more guests. Plus, we'll have Jamal back in 2021. And I give a special shout out to uh, Dave Coleman, the Knucklehead DC. Keep your head up. All right, folks. Cheers, See you all Dave. Later. Love you. Mwah. Bye. Bye.